You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to Worldview with the Irish Times. This week we'll be discussing the potential outcomes of what's turning into a fascinating general election in Spain. And later, Simon Carswell will speak to us from Las Vegas about the latest twists and turns in the race to secure the Republican nomination for next year's presidential election in the United States. I'm Chris Dooley, standing in this week for Patrick Smith. First we go to Spain, where on Sunday, voters will go to the polls in a finely balanced general election in which the long-established parties of the centre-right and centre-left face an unprecedented challenge from some new political forces that threaten, or promise, depending on your perspective, to change the face of Spanish politics for some time to come. Guy Hedgeco joins us now from Madrid, and he'll help us to pick our way through this rather crowded electoral field and explain to us exactly what's going to happen on Sunday. So, uh, no pressure, Guy, but can you start by giving us just a quick overview of the, the main contenders in this election? I mean, Spain, as we know, is governed by the centre-right uh, Partido Popular, or Popular Party, but I suppose the one thing we know is that it's unlikely to be governing on its own after Sunday, whatever else happens. Yeah, that's right. We're expecting some kind of coalition government uh, to be formed after uh, the election, and that's because there are four contenders. For the first time in Spain's um, democratic era since the, the late 70s, it, there, are, there are four parties rather than two who are in genuine contention. Um, so you have the, the popular party, the Partido Popular, which is governing. Uh, at the moment, it has a majority. It's expected to lose that on Sunday. Uh, the main opposition party are the socialists, who in most polls are running second, uh, but close on their heels are these two new parties, uh, Podemos, um, who are on the left, um, they were originally on the radical left. There's a feeling that they've moved more to the centre ground recently. And Ciudadanos, or citizens, who, uh, who define themselves as a centrist party, although other people would put them on the centre-right, uh, competing with the popular party. So it, it's a very open uh, political landscape, um, and it's a very tight race, even though we are expecting the popular party to actually win. Okay. And guys, Spain, uh, very like Ireland, suffered a particularly hard fall following the, the global economic meltdown of 2008. It had enjoyed a, a property fuel boom similar to our own prior to that. But the Spanish economy is uh, is recovering again and um, unemployment is going down and so on. So this must be very good news for the Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy and, and his party. Well, yes, it is in the sense that the, the, the government and Rajoy have been hammering home that message throughout this campaign and really for the last few months. That's really been the, the absolute centre of their, their message to voters that they have overseen a recovery um, over the last year and a half or so. And if you go back to the, the depths of the crisis in 2012, 2013, things were really bad. You know, Spain requested not a sovereign bailout in 2012, but a banking bailout uh, from the European Union. Unemployment reached a record of 27%, uh, and uh, the deficit was still very high. All of those problems, to an extent, have been resolved. The banks are better now. Unemployment is dropping um, and uh, things are generally more stable. The, the, the economy is growing at over 3%, which is you know, extremely fast compared to most of the rest of uh, the European Union. However, unemployment is still at 22%, even though it's dropping. Um, and a lot of Spaniards that you speak to out in the street are saying that they're not feeling this recovery. Um, that you know, It doesn't matter what macroeconomic figures you point to, uh, they're not feeling any better off than they were two or three years ago. And a lot of that has to do with unemployment, with so many people unemployed. And a lot of those who are unemployed, their unemploy unemployment uh, subsidies that they receive from the government have started to expire. So they're no, no longer receiving uh, 
um, any kind of help from the government in many cases. So it's kind of a mixed bag. The government says that there is a serious recovery underway, um, but uh, critics of the government are saying it's not trickling down to ordinary Spaniards. Okay. And just before, Guy, I come to them, the alternatives that people maybe are looking to, alternative um, governments or parties of government. Just on, on, on Rajoy, he's a kind of curious phenomenon, isn't he, in that he, he, nobody seems to particularly like him. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's fair or not. And his austerity policies have been quite uh, unpopular. And yet he's, he's now, I think, he's the leader of, the, of his party, Partido Popular, for 11 years. And he looks like he might lead them to some kind of election victory on Sunday. So um, how, where does he stand or how do we rate him? Um, uh, he, he has kind of defied his critics to some degree, hasn't he? Well, he has. I mean, I, and I think, you know, if he does, as we expect, win this election, that would certainly be the case again. Um, but you have to remember that he, he did lose two general elections as leader of the Popular Party before he actually won one in 2011. So, you know, he, he has experienced, you know, defeat a couple of, on a couple of occasions on a big scale. Um, but he is something of an, an enigma. I mean, he really is a sort of charisma vacuum in many ways. He, he doesn't like facing the media. He doesn't like... Uh, speaking to Spaniards. He's not comfortable um, campaigning out on the street. Um, he's not a natural campaigner. He's not charismatic. Uh, he, he communicates very poorly. Um, and yet he is expected to win, which seems extraordinary. Um, but what he's done is he's, he's made a lot of play um, around his, his experience, his age. He's older, quite a bit older than the other three main candidates. So he's got more experience than them. He was a minister before he was uh, prime minister. He was a leader of the opposition for a long time. So he's been making a lot of, uh, a lot of play on those issues, um, even though he's lacking uh, a sort of uh, a, a, a basic charisma or a basic um, many, many of the things that you would associate with a talented politician. And also he's been heavily affected by, by corruption. Um, but it seems that this idea of stability, this need for stability, is something that many Spaniards are clinging to. Um, so what Rajoy is offering is not any kind of promise of hope, I don't think. It's more a case of he's uh, trying to instill in Spaniards the idea that if they go for any other party, then chaos will ensue. Okay, and for those who are, I suppose, prepared to take that risk anyway, you mentioned um, in your summary at the outset the, the two new kids on the block, Podemos and, and Ciudadanos. Um, Podemos are probably the better known of the two outside Spain. Um, they, they emerged in the kind of wave of anti-austerity parties and campaigns across Europe um, that took place, you know, um, d during the, the recession, um, had have close links or established links with Syriza in, in, in Greece and other far left parties. You, you wrote recently in the Irish Times, though they they may have peaked a little too soon, um, and that their fortunes were somewhat on the wane. Is that still the case, or are, I think recent opinion polls might suggest they're still a, um, a, a considerable force. Well, yes, they are. I mean, if, you, if you go back almost exactly a year now to the Jan what, January of this year. Um, they kind of hit what looked like a peak when they were actually leading national opinion polls. Um, there were several points ahead of the other three parties and looked like serious contenders to, to actually win this election, even though the election date was, was still uh, unconfirmed. Um, so going on, you know, by that, uh, th those standards, you know, anything since looks rather disappointing for them. They've, they've seen a kind of consistent, constant drop 
in the polls really until just a few weeks ago, um, which put them into fourth place um, in the national polls. In the last three or four weeks, certainly since the campaign began just over a week ago, they seem to have picked up a bit in the polls, as you say. Um, and that seems to have been due in great part, I think, to the performance of Pablo Iglesias, their leader, this 37-year-old university professor, who's uh, a very able debater. He's performed very well in the debates that he's taken part in uh, recently. Um, and they just seem to have uh, perhaps reconnected with some of the voters who, who had drifted away from them in recent months, perhaps worried about um, the possibility that, that Podemos would be leading Spain into a kind of Greece situation. They seem to have brought back a lot, well, not that many, but a certain number of those voters back into the fold, uh, according to recent polls. Um, and they're kind of back in the mix. They're, they're not expected to win, but they're certainly fighting with Ciudadanos for third place. Some polls have suggested they're even fighting for second place. That may be a bit optimistic, but they are still in the mix. Were they damaged by um, the kind of trials and tribulations that Sarita went through in Greece, even though Sarita is still the party of government there, um, but it had quite a almost traumatic year? Did that have a, a rebound, a negative rebound effect on, on Podemos? Yes, I think it did. I mean, if you go back to January again, um, this sort of peak that Polemos had, one of the reasons they peaked, I think, was uh, that Syriza, um had just won the general elections in Greece. And there was this swell of optimism there. And by association in Spain among Polemos voters, there was this feeling that, um, that they could stand, that Syriza could stand up to the European Union and uh, change government policy or change the policy they've been seeing and that that could be replicated in Spain. Now, over the months that followed uh, those sort of tortuous negotiations, um, I think those definitely had an impact in Spain. And Podemos uh, politicians I've spoken to have admitted that. They said that, um, that Angela Merkel and the European Union deliberately sought to make um, an example of Greece to show that other countries, um, for example, Spain in particular, being the, the Eurozone's fourth largest uh, economy, um, to show them that they shouldn't follow suit um, and that um, trying to pursue an alternative um, to austerity um, was not practical. So I, I think many Spaniards have, were following Greece very closely and I think they were perhaps slightly spooked by what happened in Greece. Now, Ciudadanos, you mentioned, I think it uh, translates as uh, citizens, um, pr uh, probably less well-known, as I mentioned, outside Spain, but also a major force in the election. Can you tell us a little bit about them, what their background is and, and um, where they stand? Well, I mean, they've been around um, for around a decade, but not as a national party. They started out as a regional uh, party in, within Catalonia, which uh, was campaigning mainly against Catalan nationalism. Um, trying to, to prevent the breakaway of Catalonia from the rest of Spain. So that was sort of the main issue that they, they focused on. And then um, just over a year ago or so, uh, they decided to go national, um, I, perhaps encouraged by what they'd seen um, in terms of the performance of Podemos. Um, they felt that there was a demand for a, a party, an alternative to the socialists and to the popular party, a new party with new faces that was going to fight uh, corruption it was going to offer um, a new kind of politics um, untainted by all the baggage of the past of the last sort of, 30 years, which seems to sort of, often drag down the two traditional parties. And they're led by Albert Rivera, this 36-year-old lawyer who communicates extremely well. Um, he, he's very different to Pablo Iglesias. He's, um, 
he, he's, he's a lawyer. He has a slightly sort of different image, a more sort of clean-cut, middle-class image than Pablo Iglesias. But he, he speaks very well in public. He's very confident. And he's kind of gone toe-to-toe with, um, with Mariana Rajoy, the prime minister, and Pedro Sanchez, the, the leader of the socialists, quite happily. Um, he seems to feel very comfortable in that sort of company. And the voters seem to have responded over the last year. And so while Podemos's vote over the last year has dropped quite steadily, um, we've seen kind of the opposite with Ciudadanos, which has, uh, has risen very steadily over the last year, um, to the point where it's also fighting for that, either for that second or third place in the polls. And you mentioned there, we mustn't forget, you mentioned the socialists, the the um the, the other main um, uh, party in this campaign, the Socialists, who, of course, governed for, I think, two terms before they were swept out of power in 2011. Um, is there any indication that voters are prepared to forgive them for um, being the party that was left holding the baby, as it were, when the crash came? Um, how, how are they performing? Well, I mean, that's right. I, th- I think the, the last Socialist government of, of José Luis Rodríguez Zapatero is, is a bit of an anvil around their neck um, because... That was the government that was in power when the, when the crisis hit. And Pedro Sanchez, the socialist leader, um, who, who is something of an unknown, he's only been in the post for a year and a half or so, um, he seems to be trying to avoid uh, too much association with the Zapatero government because he's aware of that link um, and how the Spaniards still um, are still smarting from the, the economic crisis. Um, and many of them still blame the socialists. So he's tried to sort of decouple himself slightly from that that sort of uh, legacy, while at the same time harking back more to the socialist governments of Felipe González in the 80s and the early 90s, the man who who modernized Spain um, and who was sort of the first big charismatic figure um, of the the post-dictatorial era. Um, But it's a difficult one for Sanchez and the socialists because they're being squeezed from the left by Podemos and losing votes there. Um, and from the right by Ciudadanos, they're losing a lot of votes there. And so Pedro Sanchez's um, big task is to be taken seriously as a potential prime minister, but also to try and uh, compete with these new forces to prove that um, he can um, compete with them on, the, on issues such as regeneration and battling corruption. It hasn't been easy for him. He did perform well in a, um, a debate last night with Mariana Rajoy. Um, he went in very aggressively on the issue of corruption. And the, the, the general feeling was that Sanchez won the debate last night, but that may not be enough, probably isn't enough, in fact, for him to win this election outright. And um, is there any sense, Guy, um, any discussion then about what kind of coalition might, I mean, Spain doesn't really have a tradition of coalition governments, I think, so whenever we have an election in Ireland, all of the party leaders are asked all of the time, are you prepared to go into government with this party? Will you rule out this party? Um, Does that kind of discussion take place in Spain or will that kind of alignment have to wait until after the result on Sunday? Well, we we don't know. um, We don't know the exact um, possibilities in terms of the coalitions because the the politicians have, you know, as in Ireland, they're keeping very quiet about it and being rather sort of coy about who they would team up with. But we do have some broad sort of ideas about who uh, might be, partnering who um, after Sunday's vote. Um, something which had been sort of mooted a few months back was a, 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 the great coalition, a grand coalition, as it was uh, described, between the popular party and the socialists. So that looks like it's going to be out of the question. The socialists have ruled that out. They said it would never happen. And I think that would be probably suicide on the socialists' 
um, sort of socialist point of view if they did go into such a, a coalition. Um, what looks more likely is if the Popular Party wins, and it almost certainly it will win without the majority, as you say, they would probably love to see the Danos because there really are no other big parties around that the Popular Party can team up with ideologically. So Ciudadanos would be a possibility. The problem there is that Ciudadanos have said that they would not ever support a Popular Party government led by Mariana Rajoy. So therefore, that would suggest that Mariana Rajoy would have to step down and make way for, for example, his deputy prime minister, Soraya Sainz de Santa Maria. Now, this is all hypothetical still, but this is what's being talked about at the moment. The other uh, big possibility, if Rajoy cannot form a government, is that the socialists uh, may have to team up with Ciudadanos and... Also, they probably have to team up with Podemos because they wouldn't, probably wouldn't have enough seats in Congress to form a majority just with uh, Ciudadanos. So you'd have a kind of tripartite uh, coalition, something similar to what they have in, in Portugal at the moment, although probably slightly less, uh, less radical, less left-leaning there. Um, that could be complicated to pull off because of all the different interests and the different policies that are at play there. Um, but it's going to be very complex, I think, the, the negotiation process after Sunday. Okay, well, certainly it's, um, it's a close race and uh, it, it's going to be an exciting election, I think. And Guy Hedgeco, of course, will be continuing to cover that election for the Irish Times for the rest of this week. Guy, thanks a lot for that analysis and we'll leave it there. You're listening to the Irish Times. And now to the United States, where voters will not be picking their new president until November next year. But the campaign has been well underway now for many months and it is about to become even more intense as the parties geared up for the primaries and caucuses which begin early next year and will ultimately determine who gets to run for the White House in the second half of 2016. Simon Carswell, our Washington correspondent, joins me now from Las Vegas, where the latest TV debate among candidates for the Republican nomination is taking place. Um, Simon, it's almost impossible to begin a discussion about the Republican campaign without referring to Donald Trump, who has confounded his many critics by leading this campaign from the beginning and, and only strengthening his grip on it with each, each controversy and each... Uh, increasingly uh, outlandish uh, or controversial comment he's made. But are there signs this week that maybe the first black clouds are beginning to appear on the horizon for, for Trump? I don't think there is in the sense that Trump is still managing to maintain his lead. If you look at the last couple of days, there's been some very strong polls uh, by Trump. He's done very, very well. Um, in a recent, uh, this week in the poll by the Washington Post and ABC News, he had 38% of the vote uh, over amongst Republicans, which is up six. Um, he also scored a very high um, uh, poll rating by Monmouth University, up at 41%, um, which gave him his, his biggest lead uh, against other candidates. Um, so what's happening is, as everyone is surprised, I guess, that he seems to be outdoing himself every week with the more and more incendiary comment or inflammatory remark, uh, and yet it doesn't seem to have any bearing on him in the polls. What is happening, though, is a surprise. Um, uh, one of the candidates that's trailing him is Ted Cruz, the Texas senator, and uh, someone, something of a conservative firebrand. He's seen his poll numbers increase substantially in the last um, month to six weeks. Um, the Washington Post ABC News poll had him at 15%, which is double what he had last month. Uh, and also, he actually has uh, leapfrogged Trump in Iowa, which is the first state to uh, nominate presidential candidates with its caucuses on February 1st. And in a Des Moines Register local newspaper poll with Bloomberg News, uh, Cruz at 31%, which showed him gaining uh, a whopping 21 points since October 
to uh, Trump's 21%, who just gained 2%. And the big loser in recent weeks has been Ben Carson, the retired surgeon. He's made some pretty poor statements on foreign policy and on security issues and shown him to be quite weak in that area. And in the last couple of weeks, this is something that um, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump have capitalized on because of the fear of terrorism in the aftermath of the Paris attacks last month and then the San Bernardino mass shooting in California earlier this month. Uh, fear is a big issue uh, amongst voters in the US. The fear factor is certainly featuring in uh, the campaign at the moment and the ones that are speaking strongest about uh, Americans' concerns are, uh, as the polls are showing, are Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. And tell us a bit more about Ted Cruz, Simon. He, he's played a very clever game so far, hasn't he, in that he has refrained from criticising any of Trump's um, um, comments or statements and indeed from criticising really any of his of his fellow runners. And now he seems ready to, to show his hand. Um, wh- where does he stand in the Republican spectrum? Is he as far to the right as Trump on, say, the touchstone issues like immigration and gun control and so on? Well, in fact, he's further to the right on a lot of issues uh, than, than Donald Trump. He has He's a very shrewd political operator. He's a very good debater. He's um, fairly new into national politics in the U.S. He's 44, a Canadian-born uh, son of a Cuban father and an uh, Irish-Italian mother. Um, he's a favorite of conservatives and far-right uh, evangelical Christians uh, and Tea Party conservatives who hate Washington and think big government is evil. He's uh, really disrupted uh, congressional business since he came to the Senate almost three years ago. Um, and He has played a very smart game with Trump. He's refused to criticize Trump, and there's indeed been something of a bromance between the two candidates where they shared a stage and a number of issues, in particular uh, coming out against the Iran nuclear deal that the Obama administration has signed and also in relation to immigration. One of the most um, one of the most outrageous remarks that has been made in the campaign is, is Donald Trump's uh, proposal to bar all Muslims from entering the United States until um, lawmakers can figure out the scale of the threat that's facing the United States. And while most candidates uh, within the Republican race attacked uh, Trump for his remarks, Cruz was more muted um, in his rejection of the plan, and he certainly stopped short of condemning Trump. He said they disagree with that proposal, and he had said that a lot of people are encouraging him to criticize Trump, but he won't do it. Privately, however, it's a different matter. He, um, he said at a fundraising uh, event um, last week, an event that was an audio a recording that was picked up by the New York Times, and he admitted in that that he said his approach, much to the frustration of the media, is to bear a hug Trump and uh, Ben Carson, who was faring well in the polls at that time, and Trump uh, and excuse me, Cruz said that he believes that gravity will eventually bring those candidates down. Now that's brought a pretty predictable response from Trump. He's described uh, Cruz as something of a maniac, a little bit of a maniac. He said, in terms of his divisive behaviour in the Senate, uh, where Cruz has called Republican leaders like Mitch McConnell a liar, and also um, Cruz has been very, very disruptive, most notably in his opposition to Obama's Affordable Care Act, which led to the government shutdown in 2013. And Cruz famously spoke for 21 hours in the filibuster of that um, health care law 
reading from, among other things, Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham. So uh, conservatives love that. They love the fact that he has uh, been a thorn in the side of congressional leaders and in the business of Washington. And he certainly is very strongly uh, to the right on many, many issues. Um, his uh, comments in response to the Syrian refugees were uh, he suggested a religious test. He says that those fleeing persecution should be settled in majority Muslim countries and Christians targeted for genocide, he said, should be given safe haven in the U.S. They attracted some pretty angry comments from Obama when he was on one of his trips outside of the United States. So Trump, uh, Cruz, like Trump, is really playing on people's fears. He's done very, very well on the back of the concerns that people have in the aftermath of these terror attacks. Now, as you mentioned, um, he he's now he's in, he's leading in the in the polls in Iowa, which is the first state um, to vote when the the primary season begins um, in in February. How important is it to win Iowa? I mean, when you look back, I know uh, I think Rick Santorum won twenty twelve, Mike Huckabee won in two thousand and eight, and neither of those, of course, went on to secure the nomination. So, there's a lot of talk about the importance of early momentum, but is it really that important to to win the first state? I think it is important in terms of momentum, but as you say, that those two candidates won in Iowa and didn't do well thereafter. Um, there's supposed to be three tickets out of Iowa, so if you get into the top three, it puts you in a strong position. What Cruz has to his advantage is that he's very, very well funded. He's about $26 million in campaign funds, and he's about $38 million in this so-called dark money, which is money raised by the super PACs, the political action committees, which are not officially um, affiliated with the candidates, but certainly uh, use their financial firepower to their benefit. What Cruz could do uh, is that he could tap the evangelicals and the fiscal conservatives, and he has many of those amongst his supporters. But if he can in some way uh, tap some of the angry white men that Trump has mobilized, then he could become a considerable force. And with that financial war chest, election war chest behind him, he could certainly uh, use the momentum from a win in Iowa uh, to go on and win some of the other uh, early nominating states. I don't think he will fare well in the second nominating state in New Hampshire, where establishment candidates tend to fare a little bit better, and certainly Trump is performing well there too. Um, But I think Cruz, if he can, um, like George W. Bush did, um, mobilize the Christian conservatives, um, and notably Mitt Romney wasn't able to do that in 2012 against Obama. If Cruz can can create something of a united front amongst um, Republican voters and conservatives, then he could certainly become a force, um, even if he doesn't uh, win in New Hampshire. And Simon, just before I ask you about maybe one or two other candidates in, in the race, can, just to recap on, on, on Donald Trump's uh, um, call to, to, to bar, ban Muslims from, from entering the United States, is it clear yet whether that um, comment has done him any damage um, or what impact it has had on his support levels within the party? It hasn't done him, done him damage. In fact, he, his support has risen uh, slightly since he made those announcements. Um, he's gone up to 38%, as I said, in the Washington Post-ABC poll. The Monmouth poll put him at 41%, and those polls were taken um, at a time when um, after, after the uh, terror attacks. So people are responding very well, and certainly if you're speaking to people um, at rallies, I was at a rally last night in Las Vegas, and a lot of people like the fact that Trump is a straight talker. They think it's a sensible idea 
to close the borders to Muslims when people do when the government doesn't know the scale of the threat facing the country. Uh, so these kind of comments appeal to a lot of voters. It's, it's it's important to stress though that he has a block of between 25 and 30 percent, um, on average, of Republican voters, um, and that's not representational of the wider uh, electorate. It would be in the in the order of about a 10 percent uh, of the American population. So he still has both a minority view uh, amongst Republicans, but also a minority view amongst the wider electorate. The issue, the problem that the Republican Party has is that there are so many candidates that there's no clear establishment challenger to Trump. So he's able to perform quite well in the polls uh, because the establishment vote is diluted amongst um, a, a number of candidates. And I suppose um, the, le- the leading uh, moderate candidate, if you like, still, I think, is, is Marco Rubio. Is that right? C- can, we, can we expect Rubio at some point to start hoovering up the votes of m- more moderate Republican supporters as other candidates fall away in the race? I, I think that's likely. Also, I think that um, electability becomes an issue and will eventually become more of an issue for Republicans when they go to the ballots in February. Uh, I think that Rubio is seen as a very, very um, strong contender in a general election. Certainly, if you look at the uh, hypothetical face-offs that there have been done in the polls, Clinton would um, would trance uh, Trump in the polls 50 to 40 percent, they reckon, um, NBC, in a recent NBC poll, whereas Rubio would actually um, perform much better against Clinton. And certainly the Clinton campaign fear um, Marco Rubio the most because he, as a fresh-faced young senator, um, a Cuban-American from Florida, he can uh, tap that uh, immigrant vote and um, potentially in the general election, but also he's presenting himself as a new generation candidate, as the candidate for the 21st century, which is uh, very damaging for Hillary Clinton because she she could be portrayed as being from the old guard. Um, And also Marco Rubio, he's a very, very good debater. He um, he has an excellent backstory, much like the way Obama used his backstory in 2008. uh, Marco Rubio could certainly uh, be very effective in presenting himself um, to middle ground and independent voters. And apart then, Simon, from Rubio, Cruz and, and Trump, are there any other viable Republican candidates still in the race? I mean, um, for example, Jeb Bush, is there any way back for him? He's standing at about 4%, I think, in, in, in polls at the moment. His campaign has really been um, catastrophic in, in political been, terms, anyway. It's been a really flat campaign. He's a lot of missteps. He um, made the mistake of taking on Marco Rubio. And I think uh, in, in, in one of the debates, and that showed uh, Bush's rustiness, he hasn't held public office since 2007. He hasn't run for, for office for some time before that. And you can see that. You can see that in his campaigning. He's um, it, It's pretty dull, and it's reflected in the polls. He's kind of mid-single digits, uh, and really the four candidates who are coming through at the moment and they're the ones to watch are Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, um, Marco Rubio, and to a lesser extent Ben Carson, but even he is falling away in the polls. And uh, Simon, of course, you're in Las Vegas where you'll be writing on irishtimes.com and in the Irish Times newspaper about the, the re- Republican debate this week. Can I just, uh, before we, um, we we sign off, not to forget the, the other party in this race, um, the, the Democratic Party is is uh, where does that race stand at the moment? Is Hillary Clinton considered a shoe in, or, or could Bernie Sanders yet do a Jeremy Corbyn and and secure a, a nomination and a, and a sort of tide of disenchantment with the political establishment that saw Corbyn to take the Labour leadership in Britain? 
I think it's pretty much, um, I think Clinton is a very, very strong candidate and the poll figures reflect that. She's way ahead um, of, of, uh, of Sanders nationally. He has crept up on her um, in Iowa, but uh, she has benefited the most from Joe Biden, the vice president's decision not to enter the Democratic race. She enjoyed a six-point lift since October, um, according to one of the polls by, local, uh, by the local paper in Iowa. And she's up at 48% to Sanders, 39%. So in that first state, she has that lead. Sanders is doing better than her in New Hampshire, but I think just the weight and the momentum of her campaign, the money behind her campaign, and how well organized she is, she is going to come through as the Democratic nominee. Sanders has helped change the conversation, which a lot of the Democrats like, particularly um, on the liberal left. The grassroots enjoy the fact that Sanders has changed the debate and not made this a coronation as many people had expected it. But I really can't see Clinton slipping up. Uh, certainly the fact that Bernie Sanders uh, removed the email scandal as an issue um, in one of the debates in recent weeks, that really benefited um, Hillary Clinton. And I just can't see her um, losing, not winning, the, uh, not winning the Democratic nomination at this stage. Okay, Simon. Well, no doubt we'll be talking about this topic on, on Worldview many times over the coming months. Uh, thanks a lot for that analysis. That's it from this week's edition of Worldview. From producer Declan Conlon, sound engineer Gary White and me, Chris Dooley, thank you for listening and goodbye.